You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This is going to sound a little bit crazy, but there was a period of time this spring when the people of Italy thought that we, the Financial Times, were coming after Italian food. All these headlines were saying Financial Times newspaper slams Italian food. And then I would read this long-form analysis of my article written by people that clearly hadn't read it. That's my colleague Mariana Giusti. The article that she's talking about came out at the end of March in the FT Weekend magazine, and it was called Everything I, an Italian, Thought I Knew About Italian Food is Wrong. Her piece explored the history of Italian food, and it profiled the man that you hear agreeing with her in the background. His name is Alberto Grandi. He's an economist and a food historian. The problem is that uh, now in Italy, people try to uh, freeze the identity. Mm. And so we say that, that this is the pizza and that is always this the kind of pizza in the history. Right. Uh, without the history, without change, without evolution, this is it, it's wrong. This is dangerous too uh, for the future. For the past few years, Mari has been living abroad, and she's noticed this attitude both in Italy, where she's from, and in London, where she lives. The attitude is this: Italians are the best cooks in the world. They are cooking ancient recipes, and there's really only one right recipe for each Italian dish. Italians are taught that they're inherently special and inherently better than other people when it comes to food. I've always had the feeling that it was something extremely reductive, hugely superficial, slightly fetishizing, and I never fully bought what people said about food just from things I heard basically about my grandparents. So when Mari found Alberto's work, she was hooked. Because Alberto is trying to spread the real history of Italian food, which is that it's really only become the cuisine as we know it today in recent history, just since World War II. He says that pizza and carbonara aren't ancient at all. And that's what's gotten him and Mari in trouble. I get the impression that the reason why Alberto's research is found so insidious by Italians is because food has become so deeply associated with Italian sense of selves since after the economic boom in the 1960s. But there, he says, they invented a culinary tradition that didn't really exist because they had to compensate for the loss of a sense of self that they had lost during the historical trauma of the world wars. Today, Mari and Alberto are coming home to the FT to explain the controversy they've stepped into. Food has become extremely political in the last few years in Italy. As Italy's politics has moved further to the right, a kind of culture war has built around it. And the big debate is, what's really Italian? This is FT Weekend. I'm Lila Raptopoulos.
Alberto and Mari, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Lila. It's so great to be back. Um, we're here to talk about your viral and kind of controversial interview about Italian food that ran in the Financial Times back in March. Uh, when I say controversial, I mean it's gotten the reaction of some very prominent Italian politicians. It's been picked up by media in many languages. It's become the most read FT Weekend piece of the year so far. Uh, and my first question is just, uh, Mari, did this surprise you? Did you think that this was going to get so much attention? Oh, my God, not at all. I was extremely surprised the day after publication to see how well received it had been in the Anglophone media bubble. But then it was really when the Italian government reacted that uh, the viral level of the piece went beyond any sort of expectations. And I also mm -hmm. wasn't expecting to get trolled for the first time in my life <laughs> for a story <laughs> about pasta. That was crazy. <laughs> Some people told me, you deserve to rot in the kitchen of a McDonald's in Nebraska. And I was like, oh wow, God. that's so imaginative. <laughs> yeah, it's a good, I guess it's a good hate, yeah. hate mail. <laughs> um, what about you, Alberto? I feel like you may have had more of an idea of how this would land in Italy. Uh, at first, I, I'm not surprised for, for the reaction because yeah. it's normal. Every time that I speak about the Italian food, we meet a lot of people that is very uh, mad, uh, angry with me, <laughs> against me. <laughs> uh, and so this is, is not a surprise for me. But uh, maybe the, the first surprise is for the politicians that uh, mm. have a reaction about this interview. Um, okay, before we get into the details of that, can you tell me, Alberto, a little bit about your work in general? Yes, my work is uh, an historian. I am a historian. Uh, mm. And so I, I don't speak about uh, the quality of the Italian food. My study is about the history and the past, the center of my study. It's possible yeah, to say. Study, yes, research. study, research. Yes. Yes, study, yes. Is uh, that uh, just until uh, 60 years ago, 70 years ago at maximum, the Italian food is not very, very good. Uh, the right. reputation of the Italian food is not high uh, as uh, today. Yeah. As a historian, Alberto started his research from a place of serious doubt that there was just one way to make each Italian dish. Partly because Italy wasn't actually a unified country until the 1870s. There were a lot of states and they spoke a ton of different dialects. So Italian cuisine was, of course, completely regional. How could there just be one way of doing things? Alberto was also skeptical that the rich, meat-filled recipes that we associate with Italian food could have possibly made it through generations of hardship. Italy was extremely poor for a very long time. Around the turn of the century, more than 25 million Italians left. The ones who stayed mostly ate beans and vegetables. I, I, I say every time, if uh, uh, the Italian people eat uh, very well uh, 100 years ago, uh, no one leaves Italy to go in America, in Argentina, in Brazil, or in French, or in, or in England, too. Alberto theorized that today's Italian cuisine mostly developed after World War II, when the economy finally boomed. So he decided to trace back a few specific dishes, 
starting with the most iconic. Uh, one of them is pizza, uh, which I think is interesting because if you live in America, a lot of people know that pizza is largely American. There's a pizza shop on every corner. Um, but how is the actual history of this different from sort of the traditional uh, mythos of the history in Italy? Yeah, absolutely. Pizza was one of the things that really made me uh, see Alberto's work as hugely liberating because according to Alberto, pizza in some form is something that has been extremely pervasive around the Mediterranean for centuries, right? He even made an etymological link between sort of different discs of dough that were served with various uh, seasoning, condiments, and toppings. And he pita mentions... and, yeah. Exactly. Pita, pita, pizza. They were basically all the same things. Not many outside Italy know that in Naples, um, pizza is commonly served wrapped. People call it in a portafoglio, in a wallet, closed up, wrapped up, which is basically like a, a pita wrap. Mm -hmm. It used to be made not with tomato sauce, but with raw tomatoes. So it was an extremely poor sort of um, street food thing in the south of Italy before Italian immigrants in the United States returned and sort of mm. popularized what uh, um, in North America, especially on the East Coast, had been turned into restaurant food by previously poor migrants from the south of Italy that had made money and had decided to sort of dignify this extremely poor street food that they used to eat back home. Right, Alberto? Yes, that's perfect. <laughs> no, but many I, people disagree. I received a lot of letters with people trying to disprove this after the piece. So what happens when you ask Italians where they think pizza came from? Well, if you ask any Italian in the street, they will just blabber the story of the Queen Margherita for whom a Neapolitan chef oh, yes. concocted <laughs> this invention. I don't even know what year that was in. But that's, <laughs> a, that's a myth. But that's... Everyone will repeat it, right, Alberto? Yes, I, I think it's the same history. The, the, the Italian now believe that the uh, lie that credono alle balle che raccontano. Yeah, <laughs> so. he's saying Italians at the moment like to believe their own lies, but mostly they don't know their lies. These are, according to Alberto's research, Myths mm -hmm. that have become popular during marketing, um, yeah, as a marketing invention starting in the yes. 1970s. Alberto has done this kind of research on other dishes too. Like, take pasta carbonara. Many people think it came from the Middle Ages, but the first recipe that he could find of it written down is from 1953. His theory is that actually at the end of World War II, American soldiers created it with the eggs and bacon from their rations. Tiramisu, that coffee-soaked biscuit dessert, only appeared in the 1980s. It's made using cookies that didn't exist until 1948. What's weird about all this is that when you ask old Italians, they know that carbonara and pizza weren't around when they were young. They remember their diet as different. Uh, this is something I cite in the piece that my grandma hadn't seen a mozzarella before the 1960s, uh, before supermarket chains 
started opening in her village and she saw her first pizza when she was 20 in the 50s. Right. Um, yes, right. I, I, I remember my father in the 1975, uh, he considered the pizza uh, as the sushi, as the Thai <laughs> mm -hmm. food, uh, as a very exotic uh, kind of food. Well, my father, my father is not old, now is Yes, but uh, in the right. 1975 is normal. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So how does a cuisine that people actually remember as one way get shaped into something else and then sold back to people as an ancient identity? One answer is that Italians wanted a shared identity. And that's not all bad. Italians love and connect around this cuisine that they've created. And actually, that's a beautiful thing. But there's been something else at play more recently, and that's really what's led to the controversy around Mari's piece. The country's right-wing politicians have claimed Italian food as a cause. That includes the current prime minister, Giorgia Maloney. Okay, so I would love to hear sort of, the article goes out on March 23rd. That same week, you get pushback from the deputy prime minister of Italy, Matteo Salvini, from a number of other very notable Italians. Can you tell me a little bit, set the scene for listeners who don't know what's going on in Italy right now, who are, is the right wing in power and what do they stand for and why are they so upset at Alberto? <laughs> <laughs> for talking about right. pasta. Yeah, absolutely. I would say... Um, there was a line in the piece that I thought encapsulated really well what food is to the Italian government today. And that was with a comparison with a really globally popular politician who recently died, who is Silvia Berlusconi. And I think we said something along the lines of food is to Salvini and to Italy's government today what football and young, beautiful women were to the Berlusconi administration. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that is really to say a hugely powerful propaganda industry and a way to really make their images relatable and accessible and closer to Italians everywhere. If I understand Salvini correctly, he's sort of one of the masterminds of Italy's populist movements, right? He's one of the reasons that Italy has moved so far to the right. Yeah, absolutely. And he's using food as a kind of way to... Yeah manipulate? He basically embodies what um, Alberto really cleverly terms gastro-nationalism. He applies uh, political notions of populism and nationalism to Italy's food culture. And this has resulted in really deeply altering the factual truth of Italy's culinary right. history. And this is where Alberto intervenes. But um, broadly, Salvini and Meloni's policies um, are more on the ex ex exclusionary side of food. And this is something mm. that, for example, is very well exemplified by the Tortellini saga. The Tortellini saga, a Cliff's Notes version, is this. A few years ago, there was a city holiday in Bologna, and its archbishop suggested that the city make its traditional tortellini with chicken instead of pork. The idea was that Muslims could come and they could eat it too. In fact, Alberto was even able to show that that's how tortellini used to be made in Bologna, with chicken. 
it probably won't surprise you which politician took to Facebook to protest. Salvini have uh, a very strong reaction, and he say this is an attempt to destroy our tradition. Destroy our tradition. Oh wow, Alberto. You know, some people could say that. We're just talking about food. These politicians are making stuff up, but it's not a big deal. You can just ignore them. But I can feel that you're taking this very seriously. No, io sono convinto che questo dibattito sia un dibattito decisivo per il futuro dell'Italia. I'm convinced that this debate will be decisive for Italy's future. Yes. For the future of Italy, it's important to separate the identity with the roots mm-hmm. because this is the problem now not only for the food but for the history for the nascent uh, for a- every aspect of uh, italian culture mm. uh, we uh, confundiamo confuse confuse the, the, the identity but the, the identity change every day and the roots mm. is the our history it's impossible to say that the identity is uh, equal of uh, roots like the identity and the and the history and the identity and the facts yes are not the same yes it's not the same it's not yeah. the same this is the point the history of italian food is a, an history of uh, uh, linked uh, cross across uh, the meat with uh, different culture and different uh, tradition mm. it's links across the meeting of different yeah. cultures and traditions uh, but now is completely changed and the food is a, a, an, a, an instrument to divide the people, yeah, to absolutely. close the nation. Yeah. You know, it's funny. There are many kind of quotes that you could read in Mari's article that sound provocative. But when I hear you talk about it, it doesn't feel that you're doing this to be provocative. It feels like you're doing this because you're very interested in this history. That actually the fact that these traditions have moved and changed is valuable and important and adds, uh, it's exciting to learn these things. Do you feel that way? Yes. Yeah, Alberta understandably finds being perceived as a contrarian really frustrating because what he's trying to talk about is something that has wide historical context and is very well verified right because a lot of people think that i am enemy of italian food but right. i love italian food and i think that is a miracle only in 50 years we build a legendary food a legendary right. cuisine this is i think it is unbelievable for the rest of the world right. uh, the china cuisine uh, have a thousand years of history right french is 200 or oh no 400 uh, history in italy only 50 years in the 50 years we uh, go we, we build uh, an iconic uh, cuisine. A, a legend, <laughs> yes iconic yes yeah. iconic for the rest of the world it's right. one of the most important cuisine in the world i think right uh, con, uh, simplicità. Uh, with simplicity Simplicity, yes. This yeah. is uh, the, the most important aspect of Italian cuisine, the simplicity. Right. Our, our recipe is very easy. It's, yeah. Yes. You know, water, salt, and pasta. Yeah. <laughs> very easy. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, Mari and Alberto, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for explaining this to us. Um, this has been such a fascinating conversation. Appreciate you being on yes, the show. Yes, uh, thank, thank you. I, I apologize for my English, but this is normal. <laughs> Alberto, you're great. I wish I had known earlier. Lila, thank you so much. It's always such a pleasure to be on the podcast with you. That's the show this week. Thank you for listening to FT Weekend, the life and arts podcast of the Financial Times. Next week, we are going to the Metropolitan Museum of Art to learn how to experience museums better and how to look at art. I'm so excited about this one. We are getting a tour from Patrick Bringley, who was a guard at the Met for 10 years. He wrote a memoir about it called All the Beauty in the World. Links to everything mentioned this week are in the show notes and they will get you past the paywall on FT.com. But if you want to explore more on the site, we have really great trial and subscription offers for you. Those are at ft.com slash weekend podcast. You should also get your tickets to the FT Weekend Festival. It is on Saturday, September 2nd at Kenwood House in London. I'm going to be there. Tons of incredible guests will be there. We have links and a special discount for you in the show notes. Let me know if you're coming. As you know, we love chatting with you. The show is on Twitter at FT Weekend Pod, and I am on Instagram and Twitter, but mostly talking to you on Instagram at Lila Rap. I am Lila Raptopoulos, and here's my incredible team. Katya Kamkova is our senior producer. Lulu Smith is our producer. Molly Nugent is our contributing producer. Our sound engineers are Breen Turner and Sam Javinko with original music by Metaphor Music. Topher Forges is our executive producer. Monique Malima is our intern. And our global head of audio is Cheryl Bromley. Have a wonderful weekend, and we'll find each other again next week. <laughs>